0: Uh, last night, uh, Katie's uh, best friend, Sandy, is here with us this morning, and she had brought out this little card game, uh, and, wh- and it was just a question, kind of a, a table questions, we call them. And one of the questions is to describe your ideal day. So now you describe your ideal day. What does is, what is your ideal day look like for you? Okay, and so we, we had fun just kind of describing, you know, what, what that looks like, uh, where would you go? What would you do? Uh, and I, I'm sure that most of us uh, that day would not look like our typical day. You know, our uh, if if you are like m- uh, me, uh, your day begins by hitting the snooze button or something like that on your watch or your phone or your alarm clock because you want to stay in bed longer. And maybe you felt like that even this morning. It was like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, uh, I I really want to stay in this warm, comfortable place. I love my pillow. You know, you don't want to. And it could be even one of those things where you're anticipating the day, like on Monday morning, this this to-do list that goes on in your mind it's like oh i want to avoid that as much as possible but the further on that you delay it you, you know you get up and you you just kind of okay i have to get up now and so i go in wash up shave shower whatever it is that you do in the morning and you're already clicking through that to-do list you're already making mental post-it notes about the things that you have to do and already your stress level has risen because you're like why didn't I get up a half hour ago? Why didn't I get up when I said that I was going to get up? Because I have all of this stuff that I need to do throughout the day. And so in order to maybe try to catch up on all of the things that you wanted to do, all of that thing, all those things that stress out your life, uh, you might skip breakfast and you do two or three cups of coffee without having anything else on your stomach. And that really wreaks havoc on your body. I know it does mine. Uh, so, and... I was bad this morning. I didn't have my breakfast. I had two cups of coffee, and uh, so that's probably why I'm like, Ugh, this morning, you know, you're like, oh, now I know my Lull is the way he is on Sunday morning. Uh, too much coffee and nothing else on my stomach, but that's the way that we deal with it, and we just get started. We go to our desk, or we go to our place of work, and we begin that day with all of these to-do, trying to catch up and make up for the time that we missed. Maybe it was last week and we didn't do it, or maybe it is just because we got up later, and we, that's where we are. And so throughout the day, we are trying to catch up. We are trying to hurry. And when we get home, we are much more exhausted than we thought we would be because we're just trying to achieve something. And that builds worry and anxiety into our lives. And I don't know, I, I, I wish I could have, I should have grabbed clip. Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking right now of an old commercial, a Dunkin' Donuts commercial, where the old man would get up in the, during the morning, very early in the morning, in the dark, and he would go to the bakery to make the donuts. And he would make the donuts all day, and he would come back late at night. And have you ever had that experience where you get up in the morning and you felt like, man, I just didn't have enough sleep, and you meet, you meet yourself coming and he's like, I've got to go make the donuts. And he meets himself coming. I already made the donuts. You know, that's probably that's for me, you know, sometimes what life is like. Uh, and, and that in reality, that's the way it is for you too, perhaps. The ideal day for me, for me, obviously, would be to stay in bed until I want to get up, not because I have to get up. Although I am a morning person, so my want to get up is probably at seven. And, my, and Katie is rolling her eyes because she's like, why are you up? You don't have to be up. But that's me. That's my ideal day. And to relax and actually have a good breakfast and enjoy a cup of coffee and go on a hike. That's what I like to do. You're probably thinking, why would you want to do that? Even in the snow today, what a beautiful day. I know some of you are thinking how crazy that is. But I would love to have gone on a hike today, you know, to enjoy the beautiful snow on the trees and, And and all of that, but whatever you want to do, that's your ideal day, okay? And to leisurely enjoy creation in that moment, Uh, to uh, enjoy uh, people that you meet. Oftentimes, our relationships that we have with one another are have you are means a way to get to a certain. Like, I have to meet with this person so that I can accomplish this task. But what if you could sit across a table and have a cup of coffee with somebody or have a conversation and appreciate that person, to truly listen to what they have to say and to get to know them? That would be beautiful. That would be the ideal day for me, to be able to read, to be able to write, to be able to do some meditation, to prepare good food not rush through the drive-through or whatever it might be, but to actually spend some time enjoying conversation in the kitchen while you make something that is not only your favorite, but the favorite of everybody else that's going to get to enjoy that with you. And to end your day with people that you love, to rest with the people that know you. I know for me that when I have this regular rhythm these kinds of days, I am much more prepared to face the challenges that real life brings. Because that's not always the case, right? Those ideal days don't come as often as we would like for them to come. And to be in the community that I live in, to truly be present in that space. It's in these times when I'm able to find that regular rhythm, when I'm able to find this kind of this ideal place to rest, I'm able to listen to the voice of the One who is the lover of my soul, that actually speaks truth into my life about who I am. Uh, Chuck mentioned this last week when he was talking about King David and and the struggle that he had in his life. He was a he was described throughout the text as a man after God's own heart, and yet when he was out of rhythm, it was in those times. Like that situation with Bathsheba and one of his best friends, Uriah the Hittite, where he crumbled into this place where he forgot who he was. He didn't live in that rhythm. But even in that mistake, even in that space of brokenness, he was able to find God's truth again, that you are still a man after my heart when you accept my forgiveness for you. And we don't live in this place of guilt and shame any longer, but we live in the truth of what God has to say for us. We spend time with our Abba, with our Father, and He speaks these real truths to us. The New Year seems to be a natural time to reset, right? To, uh, I remember I went into my office uh, for the first time for the New Year, and already I had computer issues. And we've probably been there. The, the monitors wouldn't come up, and the laptop wasn't. And so I had to call Tech in to kind of work on some things. And he's like, okay, just hit this button. Hold it down for a little bit. We're going to reset this computer. Okay? And that's what my life needs. Maybe this year feels like that for you. Maybe even for our church, that is something that we need. We need to have this hard reset. When all of the wrapping paper is stuffed into the trash can, and the turkey leftovers are all gobbled up, (laughs) yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, We might reflect on the coming year and try to discern the personal goals we would like to begin with and attack this year, to reset. These are what we call our New Year's resolutions. And you're like, oh, please, lol. We don't need to hear another sermon on New Year's resolutions. We don't need to hear another sermon on all the big goals that you're going to advise us on, and I'm not, I'm not going to do that but you have some in your mind. You have some thoughts as you reset. May I propose this morning that those objectives that we attain to accomplish, certainly to better ourselves and even to achieve our personal or collective mission, we tend to start by doing it. Like I I have that list and I've got to attack it. I've got to get up earlier in the morning so that I can achieve these goals so that I might feel better about myself. And I want to say that that is a poor place to start. That is a very poor place to start. We start with the idea that we are not enough. And so in order to prove ourselves to ourselves and to other people, we must show our accomplishment and a worth by what we do. But this is not where we should begin. Our track record, for, my, for me, my track record, should already reveal this to me. Do you remember the resolutions you made last year? You're probably like, I want to forget those resolutions. Don't make me write them down. Don't make me go back, because now I'll start to feel guilty. How did that work out for you? How did that work out for me? Very few of us Can probably look back and say that we achieved all of the things that we wanted to achieve at the end of 2022. And now we find ourselves at the beginning of 2024. Where are you at? There is a better place to start our journey. Perhaps we should take our example from our Savior, from Jesus. As He anticipated His greatest work and His goal, how did He start? Where did He go? What was Jesus' ideal day? John chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 will record this about Jesus. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, we'll kind of repeat that thought. Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. How is it that Judas knew where to find Jesus? He didn't have to go hunting for him, because he always went there. When they were in Jerusalem, this was a regular place where Jesus would take his disciples, and he would spend time with them and with his father there on the Mount of Olives. And while in Jerusalem, especially during this season of Jesus' life and ministry, knowing the, what was laid lay before him, the purpose and the goal of his life, Jesus would, as the text says, he would often go there and usually went to this place in the garden. This was his ideal place. Now, I realize this is kind of a strange text and message for the first Sunday of the year. You might be thinking, and me, I'm thinking, well, I should have saved this for Easter because it actually feels more like an Easter message. But I want to propose that in anticipation of what he is going to do, as he even viewed where he was going to go, Jesus found time to pull back because he knew that's where he needed to be. He went to Gethsemane. Uh, we know that we know this place well when we know of the story of Jesus. Gethsemane, by the way, this picture up on the uh, board is one actually that I took in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, when I was there, and it is a beautiful garden. I'm not sure that it looked exactly like this, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was there, but it is still an olive grove. Gethsemane, is a word that literally means olive press. Gath means press, and shemanim means olive. And this is where in that garden, in that grove, the olive growers, the farmers there, would press those olives in that place to produce oil. The place for pressing olives. It was in and still is this olive grove. Most likely, there would have been caretakers that would have had a house in this place that would have been available to rabbis and their disciples to come and to listen and to pray. And it's a very natural place because on the other side of the Kidron Valley is the Temple Mount. That's where they would have worshiped. That's where they would have made their sacrifices. But on this side, they would have a view of it. Jesus had used this garden on numerous occasions to meet with his father, to gain spiritual strength, to receive his marching orders. And long before the Passion Week, Gethsemane was a sacred place of refuge, refreshment, healing, intimacy, and fellowship. That's why Jesus went there, to prepare for what was about to take place. After Jesus had finished the Last Supper, after he had finished celebrating the Passover with his disciples, he would have left the upper room. He would have walked maybe through the city of Jerusalem or around the wall, down through the Kidron Valley and over again up into this Mount of Olives. Probably about 10 p.m. on Thursday night, the Lord took his disciples down the Kidron Valley and then up. Only five days previous on what is now known as Palm Sunday, the Savior had come down the same mount to shouts of joy, to Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would hail him as king of kings, as the anointed Messiah. Yet now he went with no fanfare into a garden where we would take upon the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, the fact that Jesus chose a garden called Gethsemane is significant for many reasons. Just think about what's happening here. This, this, um, this olive oil that is pressed from these olives, it was considered one of the most important substances for life. This rich golden oil was used to light every home in all of Judea through lamps. And even in the temple, this olive oil was used to keep light In the temple always this olive oil was also used to cook and most primarily it was used in the making of bread the very stuff of life olive oil is also used to help create many ointments and we probably still do this today both for living and healing purposes and for the dead to anoint their body prior to placing it into the tomb And then oil is also used to anoint kings and priests and prophets. In short, olive oil played a central part in the Jewish religious and daily life. The very process by which olive oil is produced is also very significant. This picture is of an olive press. I I did not take this picture because mine didn't turn out that well, so I just found this online but I did see some remnants of olive presses there. To produce oil, you had to first crush the olives with a huge stone wheel that turned the olives into pulp, into like a mush. And it was, you took large woven bags and you filled them with the pulp and you placed them under the Geshemanim, the olive press. And this, this mash These mash sacks were placed towards the front of the beam under a round pressing board. And large stones were used on this beam to push down this stone that would allow this oil to ooze out of the bottom of the press. And it looked like, it literally looked like blood that was coming out there. It wasn't until later that it was refined to the much clearer olive oil that we have today. But it is that weight of that beam that causes that oil to be brought out. An additional weight was added until the olive oil began to spill out of the woven bag and collected into bowls. Obviously, there's so much symbolism here. Think about what Jesus would be experiencing, what his disciples would know. Anybody that went into the grove, anybody that went into the Geshemanim would recognize Christ is, in the Gospel of John, states that he is what? The light of the world. He is the light of the world. Not only that, but he would also say that he is the what? He is the bread of life that is made from this olive oil. He has also stated that he is the one who would bring healing and comfort. And he does that for each of us. And even the very name, Christ, in Greek, and Messiah in Hebrew both mean anointed. Jesus is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. As he is facing this last couple days of his life and as he spends time in this garden... We know that the story teaches us that he kneels and he asks his disciples, Come with me for a time into this place, into this ideal place, into this place where I can meet with the Father and watch while I pray. And as he prayed, the scriptures describe that it was that he would sweat almost like drops of blood were falling from his face. And do you remember the words that he used? as he was in the garden, when he talked to his father. If it is your will, allow this cup to pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. I would imagine that for Jesus, the images that I described of him being light, him being the bread of life, him being the comfort and the healing that he would bring to many still to this day and the anointed king and just the image that his life would need to be crushed so that his blood might pour and he would redeem his creation, you and I. All of these things Jesus needed as a reminder so that when he was done praying and he knew that he would be arrested by and betrayed by Judas, he would walk back through the Kidron Valley. And he would walk up to the Lion's Gate and then down the Via Dolorosa. You could see it from the Mount of Olives. He knew that, he had that vision in his mind. But all of these things were a reminder to Jesus that's my purpose, that is where I am going. In 2022, I had a chance to sit there in the Garden of Gethsemane. I got a chance to see what Jesus had to look at. And this passage came to my mind. It probably does when you think of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles the sin, I just want to pause there because sometimes I think we think of the, thing, the behavior that we have, but sin is, is also denying who we are and what God created us to be. And when we listen to those lies, those are the things that trip us up, right? We forget who we are. The sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Our purpose, our design. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, as he would sit in the garden and pray and agonize, he was also being perfected. He was also being reminded, and he was also being encouraged by his heavenly Father. For the joy set before him, like all of this that I have to go through, the thing that I want the most is to redeem my people to be in community with the people that I love and that I have created. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It reminds me of the messages that we've preached right past this fall, where we sit in the presence of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the question that I want to leave us all with this morning, as you and I begin this new year, and as you think about all of those things that you want to accomplish, and hopefully many of those things are things that you've listened to God along the way, and He is prompting you to do those things. Maybe it's your own spiritual walk and, 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 and what you need to do in order to have this, this closer relationship with Jesus. It could be the challenge of reading your Bible through in a year. And you might think, wow, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's difficult. I'm not sure that I have the time. All of, whatever it might be. Maybe you're overambitious like I am and you have a longer list than maybe what you... <laughs> your eyes are bigger than your stomach when you think of those goals. Where is your Gethsemane? Where is the place that you will go so that God can prepare you for... Today, this year, this life, when you go there, you will hear, I guarantee you, if you will take the time to find a place that will be your Gethsemane, you will hear much the same words and thoughts that Jesus did as he looked across the Kidron Valley and faced his goal, and his purpose. That you and I are created to be a reflection of the light of God. That we are meant to bring life into the world through the resurrection that Jesus had. We are raised with him, right? And so we bring life. And understand that you and I were made for a purpose Much like that anointing oil, we were made to bring comfort and healing into our world. That that is much like our vision and mission for the Living Stones Church to bring the presence of Jesus wherever we go. And then, and especially as the church, we, we often go to this passage when we think of our our uh, our name, living stones, in in first second Peter chapter or first Peter chapter two. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is. These are the words that we use to describe who we are. But go down a few more verses. Notice what it says about you and I. Verse 9. And and it's in response to what the world will say about who we are and maybe even the lies that we listen to. But Peter will say this. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And as Jesus was anointed as prophet, priest, and king, we take on the very same characteristic of Jesus, and we are each anointed to bring his presence into the world as prophets, as priests, as royalty. This Gethsemane, for you and I, is a reminder of all of these good things that are the truth about who we are. This is why we do quiet time. This is why we do devotion. This is why we pray. We don't do it just because that's the act that we do as Christians but we do it so that it will constantly be a reminder to us so that we won't listen to the lies that Satan will throw at us or the world will seem to run over us with. It is in this moment that we will also be crushed. Crushed in a positive way where God will crush all of the things that are nasty, (laughs) that mash, if you will, And out of us will come this oil that is refined to bring all of these things into the world. I hope you will join me. I hope that this year you and I will will find those very precious places, that Gethsemane, for you as a person, but even for us as a community of believers that we will find a place and begin there, that our journey into our purpose and our mission will start right here. Amen? Next couple weeks, I do want to look at uh, some some of those characteristics of about a disciplined life and how we can even more practically start this journey. But carry with you that question. Where is my Gethsemane this week? Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for giving us this picture of Jesus who began it all, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. May we consider him. May we recognize the truth and the life uh, that you bring through him. And may we be encouraged, Father. Uh, in this day. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.